everyone. I'm Inez Stepman, and welcome to a special pop-up episode of She Thinks, your favorite podcast from the Independent Women's Forum, where we talk with women and occasionally men about the policy issues that impact you and the people you care about most. Joining us today is Erica Sandy, a former public school teacher in Massachusetts, California, and Rhode Island. Erica has served on her local school board and is a senior visiting fellow at the Fordham Institute. She also blogs about education at Good School Hunting, and she's the chief editor at Project Forever Free, which also writes about education. And of course, she's dealt with the issue from the parents' perspective as well, since she's mom to three boys. Welcome, Erica. It's so good to have you on She Thinks. Thanks for having me. So I want to kick things off by talking a little bit about that Elizabeth Warren campaign event that you wrote about a few weeks ago. So parents showed up to talk to the candidate about school choice and what happened there. So uh, a network of parents from all over the country who named themselves the Powerful Parent Network um, went down to Atlanta the day of the debate and did some, you know, sort of protesting outside with signs about um, wanting options for their children when it comes to education. And then the next day, they decided to go to an Elizabeth Warren rally. And the rally was all about um, black women. And it was all about how, you know, everybody needs to stand up and speak out and protest, et cetera. And so there was a large group of parents, mostly African-American, some, some Latino parents, um, and they were there to, well, they decided basically to disrupt during the rally um, and to talk about, um, you know, that, that their children deserve to, they, that they deserve to have the choice of where to send their children to school. So they were chanting things like, my child, my choice. Um, and, and it caught the attention, obviously, of people that were there. And um, they ended up getting the opportunity to kind of, if they would tamp things down during the rally, then Elizabeth Warren would be willing to speak with them in a private meeting afterwards. So they had the opportunity to talk to her after the rally, a couple of them. I think they, I think they offered for three people to speak to the candidate. And, and do you know what they said in that, in that meeting, what they ended up having with Elizabeth Warren? So there were sort of two themes. Um, Sarah Carpenter is a mother and grandmother from a very poor section in Memphis. She's literally been advocating for better schools for children since the 90s. Um, including she used to stand outside the school with a sign that basically said, hey, everybody, like, your, your kids are walking into a failing school right now. Um, so she's kind of the leader of, um, was one of the leaders of this powerful parent network. And then, um, and she talked a lot about um, just wanting to have choices and options. She's, um, she's quite agnostic about school model, but she knew that, ba- that baked into Elizabeth Warren's plan um, was a hostility to virtually all forms of choice, that, that, that the plan was all about traditional zip code, zip code zoned schools and that Elizabeth Warren wanted to eliminate all private school choice and then really wanted to um, restrict charter schools. Then there was another person there whose name is Howard Fuller, very well known in the Ed Reform Movement, used to be the superintendent of the Milwaukee Public Schools. He's been going to every debate because he's particularly upset about the attacks and hostility to charter schools in Elizabeth Warren's plan. 
So he was sort of talking a little bit more specifically about charter schools, and Carpenter was talking more broadly about choice in general. And and how did Elizabeth Warren respond, and how, how did Democrats generally respond? Because there is a, a divide, um, isn't there, among Democratic voters. So leaving independents and Republicans to aside for a moment, um, there is a divide among Democratic voters where you see majorities of African-American and Hispanic Democratic voters supporting charter schools, supporting private school choice programs like uh, vouchers or tax credit scholarships or education savings accounts. Um, and then large majorities of white Democratic voters opposing it. And then, of course, we've seen almost all the candidates, even those that were previously um, positive about at least some school choice options, like Cory Booker, like Elizabeth Warren, um, really back away. Now, Cory Booker has flipped back a little bit um, and, and has come back to supporting some, some charter school options. Um, but we've really seen a move away, even among candidates who previously supported school choice. So, um, you know, why do you think there's such a big divide between Democratic voters of color and white Democratic voters on this issue? Well, I think that one main reason is that parents of color are more likely to be zoned to chronically underperforming schools. Uh, to quote, actually, the Rhode Island Commissioner of Education, Angelica Infante Green, just said in the, in the past few days, she said, you know who thinks that parents shouldn't have options? She said it's people that do have options. And I think that's what we see playing out in the in the Democratic Party right now is that you have um, white progressive Democrats who don't actually know what it is to be zoned to a failing school or what it is not have the means to escape from a school that's not working for them. You have them having this opinion that that uh, because what every, everything's working out fine for them they don't see what is a crisis for other families and parents and people who have been reliably democratic voters. So the um, chasm is increasingly growing that white progressives, people who identify as white progressives and or liberals um, tend to be against school choice in far greater numbers and black and Hispanic parents um, tend to overwhelmingly favor choice. And again, it's much more that them wanting to have options. They tend to be quite agnostic about what the options are. They just don't want to be stuck with only one option that is based solely on their zip code. Um, and then to speak to your point about why it's why the candidates are, are behaving the way they are. I mean, it's obvious that they are all vying for the teachers union endorsement, um, the way that they have, not only have they flipped in their positions, but they are literally, when they speak about education, they are enumerating the talking points of the AFT and the NEA. I mean, it, in fact, in reading the plans, it actually seems to me that, that union officials either wrote the plans or, or, or played a very big role in drafting those plans. So it's, uh, there's always this element, right, that you just pointed to about the divide. It's, you know, if you have choices, then um, it's, it's easier to say that, you know, if your local zone public school is safe, um, is relatively academically successful, if they're teaching things um, to your kids that you support, it's, it's always a little easier to, um, you know, talk about how we need 
to fix schools that aren't working by, you know, that's the old canard, right? More money, more money, more money, even though we have done that. Uh, we've poured more money into education, K-12 education, um, for the past few decades, and we, we haven't really seen more money in this system um, actually leading to any kind of improved outcomes. But Elizabeth Warren, to get back to her for a moment, um, she recently sort of almost blamed failing schools on parents. She had, she did this interview where um, she said, well, if you're dissatisfied with your school, you know, go volunteer, go, um, you know, run for school board or go volunteer at your school and, and put your resources back into the school. Um, I think that comment kind of fell a little funny on, uh, on parents' ears when they are uh, when they have so little power at their schools and, and uh, they know that the school isn't going to change regardless of, of how much effort they as parents put into it, the school doesn't have any incentive to change. I mean, uh, did you did you happen to, to hear those comments and, and do you have a response to them? I heard the comments at 6 p.m. the night of the, the day they were released and I wasn't even able to put my words together till the next morning because I was so stunned by how insulting the comments were. And there's, and there's an important background to this too. She essentially says that she doesn't, parents shouldn't abandon the school system if it's not working. And she talks about helping custodians and helping in the lunchroom. Now, first of all, she did abandon the system because she put her son in private school starting in fifth grade. And in her private meeting with Sarah Carpenter from Memphis, Mrs. Carpenter said, you know, I really just want to have the same choice that you had. And I read somewhere that you sent your kids to private school. She said, no, no, I sent my kids to public school. So she lied about what she did with her own kids. And I had a feeling that I had a feeling that was what was going to happen because the Internet was totally scrubbed of where her kids had gone to school. And she kept declining comment every time she was asked about where her kids went to school. So it seems like her daughter went to public school and her son went to private school grades 5 through 12. So not only, you know, is she working to deny choice to families of lesser means um, after having exercised choice for her own child, but then she's telling parents, you need to stick it out. You need to stay in this broken system and you need to be the one to fix it. If it's not working for you, it's on you to fix it. But she didn't ever do that. So the hypocrisy is insanely glaring. And then add to that, too, like, it's not the parent's responsibility to do what she's describing, number one. And number well, two, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, and number, and, and number two, well she, well, she also implies that parents are embraced by schools when they have, you know, when they, when they have complaints or critiques or concerns. She, you know, almost painting a picture that, well, if it's not working for you, I'm sure if you just went in and, and talked to them about being part of the solution, that's not how it works. You know, parents are very welcomed into schools when it comes to fundraising and when it comes to potlucks for teacher appreciation. But in most cases, not all, but in most cases, schools don't want to hear from parents when they have complaints or concerns. And they especially don't want to hear from parents when they think the parents are out of their lane and or are talking about you know, substantive issues that they aren't that, you know, about which they're not experts. So even, even, 
her suggestion is ridiculous and insulting, but even if we all decided, let's do what Elizabeth Warren said, let's all try to fix these problems, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm really concerned about this in general. It seems like we are moving more and more um, away from that really basic truth that parents and families know their kids and that you don't have to be some kind of educational expert. You don't need a PhD to know when something is working for your kid and, and isn't working for your kid. Um, so this professionalization of the idea that, you know, administrators or, or school board members or even teachers know your kid, um, you know, teachers know your kid better than anybody else who isn't their family, but certainly administrators, right? Um, they've probably never met your kid. And yet there's this professionalized idea that they know best because they went to a school of ed somewhere uh, and have taken some classes on, on some kind of pedagogy. That's, that's, um, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm generally concerned about the professionalization aspect of it. That's, that's a bit of a, a tangent. Um, you made a great piece on your, uh, our, our blog over at IWF.org. Um, go check out Erica's blog there about this, this campaign event. But you noted that these parent advocates, right, the parent power network that is going to different um, campaign events, going to the debates and making their voice heard, they're getting treated very, very differently than other parent advocate campaigns. And, and you point to, for example, um, families who are campaigning for gun control. You say uh, that, that these families are being treated, the ones who are, are going to every, you know, going to every debate, they're, they're, these are not, you know, well-organized teachers unions um, that have their travel paid for, right? I mean, these are families who are making that sacrifice to try to make their voice be heard in the Democratic Party, but they're being treated very differently from other groups. And why do you think that is? Yeah, that, that was one of the things that I found to be the most frustrating and actually like it's an, an ugly um, moment for many people in the media. So what I noticed was that as soon as, you know, these parents got noticed by people that were at the event and in the media, there was immediate skepticism, you know, who's paying them, or um, they're obviously paid protesters, or, you know, somebody's pulling the strings because these parents couldn't possibly be, you know, thinking for themselves or, or having the agency to decide that they're going to go try to talk to Elizabeth Warren. So basically what happened, it was a thing for me on a personal level too, because there were a few people that were there that have been in education advocacy for decades and some I know personally and so to suddenly hear you know commentators calling them paid shills um, was pretty disgusting so two of the women um, at the event work for this organization called Memphis Lift and Memphis Lift is a parent advocacy organization in Memphis that helps to educate parents about different school options and just really really tries to be like a home base for them when, when they need help and support and that organization does get funding from the Walton Foundation, to which I say, so what? But what happened was people tried to start linking the Walton Foundation to this larger network of parents that had come in from all over the country to um, protest Elizabeth Warren's education plan. And the reality is that they got zero funding from any, you know, billionaire philanthropist. 
um, because, but they asked, they actually asked for it and they didn't get any. The answer was no. So they ended up doing a GoFundMe to try to raise money. I proudly donated to that GoFundMe. Um, but what I thought was so unfair was that I thought about the Moms Demand Action Group who, you know, they, they came into existence on the heels of the Sandy Hook shooting and they um, caught the attention of Michael Bloomberg and Michael Bloomberg pledged them $50 million to help them launch their group. And their group is huge. And all of the coverage, you know, with the, with the exception of like very sort of fringe, in my opinion, sort of fringe groups, I didn't see coverage of these, of these mothers calling them paid protesters and talking as though, oh, like, for example, uh, one, one person who works at The Intercept call, said that, that, these, that these black parents had an incoherent talking point. I never heard anybody say anything like that about the moms that were out fighting for gun control. And so I'm not, I'm not judging the other group of mothers on their issue. I'm saying that the media is covering groups differently based on whether or not they agree or disagree with whatever cause they're fighting for. So when it was an anti-gun group, that group was great. Those women are, so, are, are to be honored and they know what they're talking about and and we should be supporting them and listening to them. And who cares if Michael Bloomberg gave them $50 million because, because their cause is so important and so great. Oh, and they also happen to be mostly white women and mostly well-educated women. Okay. Well, now another group of parents that looks very different, you know, that's, that's mostly black and, and partly Hispanic. And a lot of them come from low-income areas. And they're out now because they're talking about wanting choices for their children and grandchildren about where they go to school and to include charter schools and suddenly they're treated totally different by those differently by those same people in the media. And, and so to me, the double standard was so glaring and so ugly. And also it, it, it said to me, like you see people that are of a different class and a different race and suddenly you make assumptions about them essentially saying they don't know what they're talking about. Oh, and some must be telling them what to say. So, Erica, we've talked a lot about school choice from the perspective of schools that are failing to meet the academic needs of families, failing schools, right? Um, but there are also a lot of parents who are concerned about what their kids are learning, the values they might be, be learning, um, or sadly, about their safety while they're in class, whether that's from, um, you know, bullies or on campus, or whether that's uh, a real sort of safety issue um, about crime on campus, which we see more and more violent incidents um, cropping up in public schools, how could school choice be a valuable tool for parents who are, are not just looking to, to get their kids perhaps into a, a better performing academically, a school that's performing better academically, um, but also, you know, are dissatisfied with some other aspects, whether that's what their kids are learning in history class or, um, you know, frankly, being worried about their kids than when they send them off to school every morning, which is just, I mean, just breaks my heart. Nobody in America should have to, to worry about the safety of their child when they send them off to school in the morning. But, you know, here we are. So this is a really important question because I feel like a lot of people who don't follow the issue closely don't realize that parents are looking for options and escape hatches for all different kinds of reasons. And that a school that's high performing on paper and that can be a great fit for tons of kids, can be an absolute, like, terrible fit for other students. 
Um, to your safety point, we know that parents always rate safety as their top priority when it comes to um, a school for their children. And I think this also speaks, to, again, to that divide that we see where we see um, white, more affluent um, liberal voters opposing choice. It's likely because they, they, they don't even know what it is to be zoned to an unsafe school. They take the safety of their children for granted. And so it's not on their radar to think that there's another mother out there terrified every morning when she sends her child to school. So to me, um, and school culture has so much to do also with that safety piece. And in some schools, the culture is broken. And unless they make, you know, transformational change, it's not going to change. You know, that, that culture is not going to suddenly turn around. Um, so what I would say is that this is why all parents need options. Um, because again, a school, like my kids right now are all at school. They're all in three different kinds of schools today. One's at a charter school, one's at my zoned district middle school, and one's at a parochial high school. But there's a reason why families and siblings even often choose different kinds of schools for their kids. And it's about fit. What you described as bullying is an example where like a school that lots of kids love can be a school that other kids hate based solely on the fact that like they're treated differently by students or they could be treated differently by teachers. Um, there are plenty of examples of students who have found solace and have found um, what they needed by leaving their traditional school and either enrolling program online or taking advantage of um, some sort of a scholarship that allows them to go to a smaller, much more sort of personalized environment. I'm I mean, and I'm aware of students who are who are bullied because of their sexual orientation, who um, end up getting a scholarship to a private school, and all of that pain and harassment goes away. So, and then to your point about values, I mean, again, like the reality is, like I read stories about what's happening in some classrooms in public schools, and I say to myself, holy crap, like my kid's in a public school and there's nothing like that happening in his classroom. But if there were, I would need to get him out of there. And um, which, again, speaks to your point that there isn't a possibility of one size or one model being able to meet the needs of all students and all families. It's just impossible. And the idea that the powers that be most of whom have all enjoyed options and choices for their own families, that they would really work to trap other people's children's, children in schools, regardless of quality, regardless if, if it's meeting their needs, regardless if they're happy. Um, that to me is pretty insidious because, the, because at the end of the day, we are the ones that are home dealing with the stomach aches when the kid doesn't want to school, go to school. You know, the parents are the ones dealing with the tears because the kid doesn't want to go to school. The parent is the one dealing with the fact that, like, that, that the reading instruction in their school is so terrible that they're just watching their child year after year, like, not learning, being taught to read. And, and yet they know that if their school simply did it a different way, their child would be able to read. So... Um, so to me, universally, this is just something that has to happen for families if we are ever going to get to a place that we have an actual education, you know, system and reality that we can be proud of and that's working for families and, and that doesn't depend on your wealth or your zip code. I couldn't agree more. 
Erica, you've been a fantastic guest. Thanks for coming on. We hope that you, the listener, enjoyed this episode of She Thinks and the podcast in general. If you do enjoy us, we'd love it if you could take a moment to leave us a rating or review on iTunes. That helps ensure that our message reaches as many people as possible. Please share this episode. Let your friends know they can find more She Thinks episodes on their favorite podcast app. From all of us here at Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.